Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee and welcome to episode 53 of the Benzo Free Podcast. It is great to be back with you again this week. I, I miss you guys when when I don't get to talk with you. I, I know it's only been a week, but still, I I miss this when I'm away. You know, I hope this podcast finds you in a really good place today. And if not, then, then maybe tomorrow or the next day. I just... I just hope things ease for you and get better for you soon. Today for me is a good day. Well, it, it's a good week, a really good week in one aspect, especially. <laughs> I just have to share a piece of news with you today. No, it's not related to benzodiazepines. No, it's not related to non-benzodiazepines. It's not even directly related to anxiety, although I guess there was a lot of anxiety around our house this past weekend. <laughs> And no, it's not really related to any subject pertinent to this podcast. <laughs> it, it's something that hasn't happened in 50 years. And I just can't help myself from sharing it with you today. For those of you in other countries or from this country, but perhaps who are not fans, I just wanted to say that for the first time in 50 years, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Go ahead. You can cheer. Go ahead. It's okay. I'll wait. You're, you're cheering, right? Okay. <laughs> now, for those of you who are Tennessee Titan fans who battled the Chiefs fiercely this past Saturday, it was a great game, and I am really sorry for your loss. If the Chiefs hadn't won, I think I would have been on your bandwagon all the way, but... I grew up in Kansas City, I'm an old Chiefs fan, and I can't help myself. In fact, I may even have to drive back to Kansas City in a couple of weeks, you know me, I've done this road trip a couple times, to watch the game with some old friends. And you know, it's pretty cool that I can do that. That I can enjoy that again, that I look forward to football games again, that I'm getting back out there and I'm having fun with people. So if there are any Chiefs fans, please let me know out there. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> or if there are any 49ers fans who will be playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, let me know. We can do a bit of trash talking all in good fun if you like. And if there are any other fans of any other sport in any other place or country and you want to celebrate your win or success, let me know that too. I really want to know. I'm, I'm opening with this today because I think we all need a bit of good news now and then. And even if it's not good news for you directly, perhaps you can celebrate with me vicariously. I believe that positive energy creates positive energy. That being around positivity helps you be more positive. It doesn't always work that way, but I think it does help. 
And I think it's important for us, especially those of us in the Benzo community, to remember to find some positive things we can focus on when we can. It's not easy, but every little bit helps. Our feature today hits on triggers and how negative stories and information can affect us during withdrawal. This is a topic which has been more common in some of my correspondence with you lately, and I thought it was a good one for us to focus on today. I'm going to try and be a bit more positive on this podcast going forward. That doesn't mean I won't share my trials with you, or that I don't want to hear your stories of struggle, not in the least. I believe those are just as important to share here, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But it just means that it's important to keep in mind that most of us during this time can be more easily triggered by negative stories, topics, information, and that I promise to keep that in mind as I share with you things on this show. And that being said, since we have a full play today, including a great feature topic, I'm going to keep our intro a little shorter today and get moving on with the rest of the show. Today, we return to our normal format. We have our introduction, which you just heard, our mailbag, Benzo story, feature, and we'll close out with our moment of peace. Our feature today is Online or Offline, Managing Triggers in Benzo Withdrawal. And of course, before we get to that, we still need feedback as always, questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blog post itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzo Free podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This does help new listeners find us. Now let's take a look inside our mailbag. In the mailbag today, we have two comments. Our first comment is from Stephanie from Durham, North Carolina. Stephanie writes, Instead of drugs, try other natural means to help first for anxiety, depression, etc. Such as relaxation methods, meditation, hypnotherapy, journaling, support groups in person, and herbs and vitamins if needed. Thanks, Stephanie. I wanted to share this quick one with you today because I felt it was a good reminder to throw in here. And for the most part, I agree with what Stephanie said. We have spoken many times on this podcast about natural solutions for managing anxiety, easing depression, helping you sleep, and for handling your symptoms. Medications created this problem in the first place for most of us, so perhaps, just perhaps, more medication may not be the answer. So many, including myself, have found significant relief of anxiety, insomnia, and other symptomology through exercise, meditation, relaxation techniques, yoga, tai chi, acupuncture, massage, physical therapy, counseling, journaling, support groups, and many other more natural techniques and tools. I realize that these may not work for everyone. 
But even if only one of them does help, isn't it worth it? Stephanie also mentions herbs and vitamins in her comment. I, I didn't mention that in my list of tools only because more caution might be advised when using these substances during withdrawal. I am neither for nor against the use of vitamins, supplements, or other substances during withdrawal. I tried a few now and then, and even though I didn't notice any direct benefits for myself most of the time, I can't say that they won't work for someone else. From my experience, it appears that they do help some people, but not others. And for some, they even make their condition worse. Just be careful if you decide to go this route, and be as objective as you can as to its benefits. And one of the greatest benefits from these types of natural tools and techniques might just be the occupation of your mind. It, it gives you something to do, something positive to think about. And perhaps one of the greatest benefits is that it takes your mind off your symptoms, if even just for a little while. Researching these techniques, learning these techniques, maybe even taking classes for different techniques or going to counseling or something else helps occupy your mind. And that distraction can be helpful in withdrawal. Thanks for your comment, Stephanie. That was a great one. I really appreciate it. Our next comment is from Anne, and I thought it would be perfect to share this one today since it ties in nicely with our feature topic. Anne writes, Hi, Dee. Love the podcast. Would be great if you could put some hopeful pieces in there. Success stories, healed stories. It seems like every time I listen, I'm hoping the stories will be hopeful, and many are not. I hold on to these stories as I go through my journey, and there just aren't enough. Thank you, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Anne's comment was right on the money. I, too, would love to have more success stories, more positive stories, and when I get them, I share them. But unfortunately, most of our listeners just aren't quite there. And thus, their stories haven't found that happy ending yet. And unfortunately, today is not going to be one of those success stories that Anne is looking for. Today's story is a story of struggle and suffering. A story of success? No, not quite yet. And I'm sure it might be a hard story to hear, but it is also a story that deserves to be told. And perhaps, just perhaps, someone out there might connect to it and feel just a bit less alone in the middle of their own struggles every day. Organizers in the Benzo community, like those who manage the discussion boards or work for one of the nonprofits or post videos on YouTube, write books or host podcasts, we have a very delicate path to tread here. We would love nothing better than to provide positive energy and hope in everything we do to all those who come to us for help. But it doesn't really work that way. Benzo withdrawal for some people, now not for all people, not by a long shot, many withdraw with little or no complications. But for some people, this can be a very difficult, long, and trying process. It's a fact and there is nothing I nor anyone else can do about it. Or if there is, someone forgot to tell me. <laughs> I wish you'd let me know if you found the miracle cure. 
Perhaps something will come along soon, which will make this whole process so much easier, but it's not here now. And like I said last week, it is what it is. Unfortunately, the topic we as benzo community organizers choose to dedicate our time to, most of the time, is not a very pleasant one. And for many who visit the discussion boards, they just want to be heard and and share their story and find some validation or some connection. The truth is, I don't receive a lot of stories of success. I get some, but not the majority. The main reason, in my opinion, is that once our listeners start feeling better, start returning to a more normal life, they move on and no longer need the podcast. And I am so very, very happy for them. But that also means that our stories become a bit skewed. And it starts to feel like no one ever heals, which is far, far from the truth. You see, I share people's benzo stories in this podcast for three primary reasons. One, so that others can relate. One of the strongest benefits from sharing stories on this podcast is the connection, sharing similar experiences. I can't tell you the number of times when someone has written to me about something I shared from my story or something someone else shared on the podcast, who connected with that story, who felt a bit less alone, a bit less crazy, who finally found validation for what they are going through. For this reason alone, I think that sharing your stories on this podcast is essential, regardless if they are stories of ongoing struggles or stories of ultimate success. The second reason is for a sense of validation. I believe anyone who has experienced any of the struggles of benzodependence and withdrawal deserves to have his or her story shared publicly if they wish to do so. One of the biggest struggles with this experience is the isolation and the disbelief so many of us experience from other people, both in our personal lives and from medical professionals and the like, who have no real idea as to what we are going through. This isolation can make anyone feel a sense of banishment from normal human society. If sharing your story on our podcast helps validate that experience for you, even in the slightest, then it's worth it. Benzodiazepine and non-benzodiazepine dependence is real. It is a real medical condition with top medical professionals and studies backing its validity. And withdrawal from benzos, at least for a small minority of us, can be arduous and takes months, even years. And the third reason I share these stories is to provide a sense of hope. And this is where the success stories and update stories are so helpful. Please keep sending those in. I need those. We all need stories of success, including myself, to cling to during those dark and difficult days. So thank you for your email, Anne. That was really helpful and a great topic to talk about. I agree. And I'm going to try to be a little more positive on the podcast as we move along. In fact, We'll be talking a lot more about that in our feature today. Now, let's move on to our Benzo story. Our story today is from a friend of ours in Montana who prefers to remain anonymous. Like many of our Benzo stories we share on this podcast, 
this one might be hard to hear, as I mentioned in our mailbag. So if this is a trigger for you, perhaps you might want to skip to the feature. Don't forget that we have a time index at the top of our show notes, which will tell you what time each section of the podcast starts. So please feel free to go there and find out what section you want to go listen to next and skip ahead to it. Our friend writes, I started taking Clonopin for sleep issues, which were created by anxiety when I started my first teaching job in 2011. It was during my second year of teaching that I started the Benzo, after abusing Ambien for about a year or so. The Clonopin worked immediately and helped me sleep and also helped me at work. I took Clonopin off and on for about five years, from 2011 to about the end of 2015. I quit cold turkey every summer and often would not take doses over the weekends during the school year. I would often binge drink on the weekends, though, but I only took the clonopin on school nights. After reading about the possibility of dementia, I quit for what I thought would be the final time at the end of 2015. I didn't take any medications for two full years, but I continued to drink during that time period. During the 2016-17 school year, I even told myself I would never need to take prescription pills again. During that same period, our daughter was born. I thought I did pretty well with it and even stayed home with her for a month of paternity leave on my own. Then the 2017-18 school year started, and I started feeling depressed about my job. And then the same old anxiety I had felt early in my career returned. I was having a hard time public speaking again. I started getting paranoid thoughts about students, so I figured I'd better go back on the clonopin. I went back on it in early January 2018 until March 21st. During that time period, I started getting more depressed, my sleep got increasingly worse, and I started to notice weird things going on with my heart. It wasn't until the one weekend where I didn't take a dose that I knew I was in trouble. I was at home by myself and it started feeling as though I was going insane. I could not comfortably sit on the couch with my lunch and watch a television show. I ended up pacing around my neighborhood in the snow until I felt a little better. I ended up quitting the medication cold turkey and it took about three days. And the exact same thing happened where it felt like I was going insane and I had to pace around the room without losing it. I did this in front of my wife and daughter. About a week after quitting, I joined Benzo Buddies and realized what was happening to me. I was in withdrawal. I didn't take quitting cold turkey seriously even then because I had done it so many times in the past without any issues. I figured I would be better in a few months. I was wrong. The first month off, I didn't sleep at all. Maybe a half hour a night. Then my sleep came back about a month and a half later and I started feeling a little better. Not knowing I shouldn't drink, I had one drink on two separate occasions and the hell really began around June 2018 when my school year ended. 
I went into a horrible state of depersonalization and derealization. The depression I felt became a constant fear of ending my life, and I would have panic attacks in the middle of the night worried that I would. I almost put myself in a psych ward multiple times. My sleep was up and down, but by five months off, I was back to only sleeping like two hours a night. I basically needed to be out walking constantly. Despite feeling these feelings, I went back to teaching at about six months off and taught the entire year in a completely detached state. I mostly felt like I had to work because I was afraid to be home alone. At about nine months off, I started having violent, intrusive thoughts that went along with my depression. By about 12 months off, the depression turned into anger. I had the anger for absolutely no reason to, just a general sense of being angry all the time, and sometimes at specific people. I am still dealing with the anger and anxiety about the anger at nearly 20 months off benzos and 18 months off alcohol. I have no idea if it's ever going to get better or not fully, but it makes being at home tremendously hard. It's weird to think that I actually do better at work than at home with my family. I'm constantly second-guessing it's all benzo withdrawal for that reason. Other symptoms I'm still dealing with are numb spots all over my body, mostly in my face, a feeling of pressure around my eyes, and burning nerves, mostly in my left calf. My vision has also been very bad for a long time, but it seems to be returning, and some of the DRDP is getting better. I still struggle with restful sleep, but it has certainly improved from where I was a year ago. I was sleeping about two hours a night at eight months off, and at 20 months off, I'm getting back to about five to six hours. One of the hardest things I'm dealing with is intolerance to real-world stress. I often feel like crying at work when I have too many tasks to do or too many people to interact with. Sometimes I just want to cry for no reason. Then when I get home, my body often goes into a state of freeze when I'm around my family because of the anger and intrusive thoughts. I'm struggling with this the most. I think after 20 months off the medications and 18 months off the alcohol, you really start to question whether or not something else is wrong with you. But I look perfectly healthy and I've had tests run during this that all came back fine. I just don't know what to do to help myself anymore and I often lose hope as a result. I hope this starts getting better in the next six months. I first want to thank our friend from Montana for sharing his story. I, I am so glad that some of his symptoms are getting better, but I still understand how hopeless it may seem, especially after almost two years. I have had the same thoughts at times, so I do understand. The increase in anger is far too common and one so many of us deal with, and it's important that you carefully monitor this feeling and make sure Everyone is safe, including yourself. In my opinion, one of the best things for this is open communication. Let your loved ones know what you are dealing with. 
and help them understand that at times you may have to remove yourself from a situation, even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes until the anger and irritability pass. And then you can come back when you're in a more relaxed and restful state of mind. And as for the inability to handle the stressors of the world, this is also far too common. It is so easy for us to become overwhelmed by normal everyday events. And it's key, in my opinion, to notice when that happens and to have some coping tools to manage each situation, much like you would with the anger. I'm so sorry that this is an ongoing struggle for you, and I hope it continues to improve every day. Please keep in touch and take care of yourself. And don't forget, I'd still love to hear your Benzo story, whether it's a success story, update story, or a story of struggling and even hopelessness. This is a place where you can share those and a place where we can connect with each other via those stories. So please visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Now let's move on to our feature. I'd like to open our feature today with an email from one of our listeners I received last week. In fact, it is one of the main reasons that I chose this topic today as our feature. Joseph from Spain writes, There is some controversy here in terms that my loved ones somehow feel I should cut off any more benzo information to avoid further stress, move on, and heal. Fair enough, but I feel the need to bond with people's stories since the rest of humanity is totally unaware of this situation. Thank you, Joseph, and thank you so much for agreeing for me to share your email with others on today's podcast. I've been corresponding with Joseph for about a week now, and he raises a very pertinent question and one which most of us have thought about at some point during our experience with benzos. In my book, I pose the following question. What is the number one enemy to a successful withdrawal? My response was simply, fear. In fact, this question was the opening of a whole chapter I wrote on managing the fear during benzo withdrawal. I wrote that chapter about two years ago now, and since then, I've launched a website on benzos, hosted a podcast, and corresponded with hundreds of listeners. And I have to say that if I was asked that question again today, I wouldn't change my answer one bit. In fact, I'm even more sure of it now than ever. Fear and the anxiety caused by that fear, along with the anger, which is also closely tied to fear, are the primary enemies of successful withdrawal. Now, if you listen to us for any length of time, you probably know that this topic is a tenet of this podcast. And you may even be sick of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I can get repetitive sometimes. I don't mean to. It just happens. But one of the reasons I come back to this topic so often is because I keep getting asked about it. Managing fear and anxiety is probably the most common topic that I come across in emails from our listeners. And I see why. 
this can be a huge problem in benzo withdrawal. Fear and anxiety in of themselves are not bad emotions. In fact, fear is necessary. It can save our lives when we are in real danger. But when we're not, and there is no real threat out there, but for some reason we are reacting as if there is, then we have a problem, especially if this happens frequently, as it often does in withdrawal. And those things that wake our fear when there is no real life-threatening danger out there, we like to call those things triggers. For good or bad, triggers is a term that is common in our modern-day lexicon. And in benzo withdrawal, it's a term that is almost impossible to avoid. We can become experts at obsessive thinking during this time, and we can turn a simple, benign trigger into a cascade of looping negative self-talk, which can dramatically increase our anxiety, fear, anger, sadness, any number of strong emotions, and, and kick off an increase in our symptomology. It's no picnic, that's for sure. So, what do we do? Our feature today is titled, Online or Offline? Managing Triggers During Benzo Withdrawal. This feature is all about triggers. What they are, where they can be found, what they can do to us in benzo withdrawal, and how to find a balance to manage their effects. Professor Ashton said the following in her manual. Above all, stop worrying. Worry, fear, and anxiety increase all withdrawal symptoms. Many of these symptoms are actually due to anxiety and not signs of brain or nervous system damage. People who fear withdrawal have more intense symptoms than those who just take it as it comes and think positively and confidently about recovery. Hmm. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? <laughs> but I know what you are thinking because I'm thinking it too. If only it was that easy. And Ashton knows this too. Still, her message is valid. She said, People who fear withdrawal have more intense symptoms. Think about that. It's right there, in black and white, from the expert herself. This isn't just me talking here. Stress, anxiety, worry, these are the real enemies in benzo withdrawal. They make everything else worse. And finding a way to manage those, which may include avoiding possible triggers, might be helpful to get you through this difficult journey. Now, before we get any further, I do want to remind everyone that I am not a medical professional nor a professional counselor of any kind, and to please keep in mind that this is all for informational purposes only. So what I share here is just my opinion, and it's based on research and articles and studies that I've read. Just wanted to make sure I put that out there one more time. <laughs> Benzodependence and withdrawal leaves many of us, oh, what is the word? Susceptible, impressionable, vulnerable, hypersensitive. That's it. Hypersensitive. And that hypersensitivity can be both physical 
such as extreme reactions to light, sound, smell, taste, touch. And psychological, such as extreme anxiety, anger, rage, sadness, and even pleasure to all sorts of stimuli, both external and internal. And thus, our responses to normal, everyday stimuli, both psychological and physiological, are twice, three, five, perhaps even ten times what the average person would experience to the same event. And once we get triggered, we don't have the proper calming mechanisms to return us back to normal. And so we can stay in a heightened state and are even more susceptible to additional triggers and their compounding effects. Our nervous systems become heightened in benzoyl withdrawal. We become overreactive. And that system responds strongly, very strongly, to certain stimuli. For most of us, it feels like we're in a constant state of fight or flight. Any little sound, any bright light, any smell, touch, pain, sensation, any person, any event, any article or comment or message or story, or even any thought can be a trigger. And the results can be a cascade of symptoms, which are increasingly hard to ignore or let go of. Many of you have experienced this firsthand. <laughs> I know you have because you've shared that with me. We are hypersensitive to just about everything. And that especially includes anything about our condition, about the drugs that caused it, about others suffering similar symptoms, about the causes of these symptoms, and could there be even something worse causing them? about certain medical professionals denying this whole thing and claiming our condition isn't even real, and most of all, about wanting so desperately to know when we will finally heal. Or worse yet, will we? That's a lot to think about, and I know that most of you have thought these things at some time much as I have. Benzodependence and withdrawal is a complex problem, and there aren't a lot of easy answers. So, we keep looking. Online, in articles, on discussion boards, on websites and podcasts. Looking for that answer, that glimmer of hope, that solution to this whole mess, but we rarely find it. And somewhere along the way, three key things happen. One we actually become more educated. We learn things. We gather important information, some of which actually helps with our recovery. Two, we become more connected. We meet people like us. We find validation in their stories and information. We meet people with similar symptoms and concerns and worries. We meet people who make us feel just a little less alone in all this mess. And three, and here's the complication to this whole thing, we may become more frightened. We read or listen to horror stories and presume they will be us. We hear stories of people who suffer for months, years, or even longer, and presume that will be us. 
We read every symptom ever dreamt of being tied to this experience and presume we will have all of them. And we even get caught up in controversies about terminology, tapering, supplements, vitamins, alcohol, diet, caffeine, exercise, isolation, and on and on. And we get confused and we get stressed. And we even get angry, hopeless, and lost. And then we finally start asking ourselves the critical question. Is this really helping me? Or perhaps, is it making everything worse? It's a question I've asked many times, and one I've been asked many times. And it's a question that leads me to one simple word. Boundaries. Setting boundaries in your life is rarely easy, but sometimes it is essential, and benzo withdrawal is often one of those times. The trick in all of this, the one thing I hope everyone would keep in mind, is finding a balance. We all need to find the right balance somewhere in between isolating ourselves completely and reading the discussion boards 24 hours a day. Neither of these extremes is healthy. But somewhere in between there is a balance. And only you really know where that is. Now, there is far more information on this topic than I have time to share here today, but I still do want to highlight some things that I think might help. Number one, no more horror stories. If you know you are someone who is susceptible to being triggered by reading or hearing horror stories of people's experience with benzo withdrawal, then it might be a good idea to avoid them. If these are at all a trigger for you, stop reading them. Stop listening to them. This is one of the reasons that I add a time index to our podcast now. It's so you can skip sections that you either don't want to hear or which might be a trigger for you. The real danger here, in my opinion, is not so much the horror stories themselves, but it's how we interpret them when we read them or hear them. For those of us in severe withdrawal, our brains are not quite working normally, and they can short-circuit bypassing reason and rationality. Most of us in benzo withdrawal read a horror story and think the same thing. This will be me. Regardless of caveats, warnings, and reminders that these are the extreme cases which they are, we think they will be us. Our fearful minds just don't want to believe the good stuff. Only the bad. One thing I try to remind people every chance I get is that my story along with most of the horror stories online, are extreme. They are the minority, and that most people will not have this difficult of an experience. If you are just starting out on your taper, the odds are that your experience will be much better than mine, or many of the ones you read online. The estimates overall say that only about 45% of long-term benzo users will have a difficult time in withdrawal. These numbers here vary some depending on source, but that's the ballpark number. They also estimate that only 10 to 15% of long-term benzo users will experience protracted withdrawal, defined as still having symptoms 18 months after your last dose. 
I am one of those 10 to 15%. I am the minority. I am an extreme case. So please, remember that when you listen to my story and think to yourself, that will be me, don't, because it won't. Most of the people who post on the discussion boards and who share their stories on this podcast are in the minority, those in the majority, those who had little or no difficulty in withdrawal, they're gone. They aren't hanging around depressing discussion boards. Why would they? They've moved on with their life, and I'm happy. Oh, so happy that they did. We lack success stories, happy withdrawal stories, because most of those people don't hang around to tell them. Not because they don't happen. Let's move on to number two. Stop selective listening. I am happy. I really am. Even though I still have symptoms, I am happy. Even happier than I was before taking benzos. Life is good now and I like it. And yet, even when I say that, I know what many of you are thinking. Yeah, he says that, but he still has symptoms. Or, yeah, he says that, but he's just trying to keep positive. Or, yeah, he says that, but he's not back to normal. I know these things because I thought these things too when I was in the middle of withdrawal. I'm not saying I'm happy just to be positive. I truly am happy now. And I hope you will listen to what I am saying. I know for some of you, your fearful brain is having a hard time processing that. And it keeps looking for the bad in what I am saying. It's kind of like a heat-seeking missile in search of negativity. And it will always find, eventually, what it is looking for. But you can learn to control it, even if it's done in very small steps. Look for the positive when you can. When I say, I'm happy, don't tear that apart. Don't look for the underlying crud beneath it. Just accept it for what it is. And realize that I'm telling the truth. The vast majority of us heal fully from this condition and go on to live full, happy, successful lives. And that most likely will be you too. But it's hard to see. I know it is. Because your brain is trapped in a negative mindset and it's not processing information nominally. So please, try and stop focusing on the fact that I still have symptoms at five years out. Try to stop focusing on all the negative pieces from the stories you read or listen to. And listen to what I'm saying here. Life is better now for me and for so many others which I have talked to. Please, try and focus on that more often than on the rest of the stuff. Number three. Start setting boundaries within reason. Boundaries are limits. According to A Guide to Psychology and Its Practice, boundaries are, quote, anything that marks a limit, a psychological limit that marks the distinction between behavior that does not cause emotional harm and behavior that causes emotional harm. 
Boundaries are tools we use to help manage behavior. In Benza withdrawal, they are often used to help avoid triggers so that we can prevent difficult reactions. Set boundaries where you need them. Perhaps disconnect from the discussion boards, even if it's just for a little while. Or stop listening to this podcast if it becomes a trigger for you. Notice your mood, your, your symptoms, and your other reactions after you do different activities. Have someone you love help notice your reactions too. And identify the activities that cause a downturn in your mood or which lead to obsessive thoughts, ruminations, looping thoughts, or even an increase in your symptoms. Try and analyze what your triggers are and then put boundaries around them to help manage your mood and your symptoms. One of my big ones that I've shared several times here on the podcast was the news. Watching the news or listening to the news was a big trigger for me, and it still is to some degree, so I finally decided to stop watching it altogether during my withdrawal. And it helped. I've avoided this trigger now for a long time. Now, I could probably watch some news now, and I have on occasion, and not be as triggered nearly like I was before, but the truth is, this boundary may be a permanent one for me. I'm, I'm happier now without it, so why should I go back to where I was? But during withdrawal, I just couldn't handle it, and I had to put that boundary in place. Your boundaries will most likely be different. Only you can identify where you get triggered and where you need to adjust your lifestyle at least for a little while. But keep one thing in mind during all this. Unlike the news for me, at some point, you're going to want to return to the land of living and probably remove that boundary. And the bigger the boundary, the longer it is in place, the harder it may be to remove. Be careful of becoming too isolated during withdrawal. It may be a very difficult task to return once it is over. As I mentioned a while back, balance is key. Create boundaries where you need them but be careful of getting too carried away. Number four, learn tools for managing your anxiety. Now, I won't dig into this one too much today since I talk about it in almost every episode, but work on managing your response to these triggers as best as you can. Yes, it is hard because your brain isn't working as it used to. Your calming mechanisms are in the shop right now and are unavailable to you. But you can do things that will help, and every little bit helps. It takes work, but it's worth it. Number five, find a positive source. If you still need the connection to others but are easily triggered, try and find one or two sources which are more positive. Or perhaps find one or two people in the Benzo community, others who are going through it or who have been through it, who are more positive about their experience and lift you up instead of bring you down. Perhaps you might find someone on the discussion boards or through other resources. But be careful as you look, since most discussion boards can be a landmine of triggers. And finally, number six. Keep busy. This might be the most important of them all. An idle mind is a nightmare in benzo withdrawal. Find ways to keep busy both mentally 
and physically. Thinking, obsessing, ruminating about your condition and about what happened to you does not help you. Your mind needs a break from all this, so give it one. Find something else to keep it busy. This doesn't mean block or ignore your emotions or sensations. It's important to feel those and even experience them. Finding a distraction, keeping yourself busy, can be a very helpful tool during this time. You can focus on work, reading, entertainment, puzzles, games, volunteering, and on and on. Find something you enjoy that may also be somewhat challenging and give your mind a break from ruminating on your condition. It's okay not to focus on your symptoms all the time. I'm going to say that one more time. It's okay not to focus on your symptoms all the time. And that's going to close out our feature today. I I hope this has helped at least a little. Let, Let me know what you think. I really want to hear your feedback on this. And if you have ideas or topics for another feature down the road, I'd really love to hear those too. And now, before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering on any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Every few weeks I like to return to the standard bearer of meditation techniques, breathing meditation. This is one of the simplest types of meditation and often one of the most effective. All you need to do is focus on your breathing. If your mind wanders to something else, just gently bring it back to your breath. It's that simple. So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. 
and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second, then let the breath out slowly, relaxing our entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally, and focus on your breath. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breathing. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute. Next episode is episode 54, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.